Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Coming up in this episode, Kelly Wright, Senior Vice President of Distribution and New Business at Kesha International, talks about some of the shows the company has had to pause, including Apple's adaptation of Israeli drama False Flag, but how some of its unscripted formats are back in action. And Scott Greenberg, co-founder and chief executive of Bento Box Entertainment, explains how animation has stayed strong throughout the pandemic and the Fox-owned studio has entered talks about helping out with live-action series that have had to shut down. But first, Moritz Poulter, executive producer of international series at Bavaria Fiction, discusses how the company behind Netflix series Freud and Sky's Das Boot is returning to production in Germany and the Czech Republic while dealing with the challenges posed by insurance. He spoke with Drama Quarterly editor Michael Pickard about this and the broader outlook for domestic and international productions. On the international front, I think the first thing to say is that we were quite fortunate because Freud had just, you know, had just been delivered before the coronavirus hit us. And so, you know, that was going online uh, during uh, the time that a lot of people had um, time on their hands to watch content. And, And that probably meant that more people watched program generally. And, and obviously we were probably part of, of, uh, you know, some of those productions that had more viewers than they would have otherwise had because overall viewing figures have been up. On the sport, it was actually very challenging because, you know, we were no longer able to travel to Prague. Uh, we still hadn't delivered. Prague had completely shut down and we had to still do post-production because we were still in the middle of delivering the last couple of episodes. And we started to really look at contingency plans as to, you know, what do we do if the visual effects house that we have has to completely shut down? And so we, you know, we needed to do backups and, and everything that we could have then potentially finished the product in another VFX facility somewhere around the world where they would still be working. But but UPP, our visual effects house in Prague, took every measure that, that they could. Most of the people were working from home. Uh, the same was for, for our sound mix, the final sound mix we did um, online because it was just no longer possible to travel. But technology is now, you know, it, it, there to actually do these things. And I think that that's something that is is proof to where this industry is going, that you can do more and more things remotely. You don't have to travel as much. Uh, is it the same? And is the, the, the level of quality the same if you do it remotely? Um, I'd say it can be, but it's harder to get there because um, if you're in the room together and you listen to the same, you know, to the same speakers, you will most likely hear things more similarly and be able to discuss more clearly what you feel is right or wrong. But it does work this way around. I mean, we, you know, we finished Dustboard in time, just in time to deliver it. And uh, I think, um, well, as you know, it's, it's, it's coming on air in the UK now. And I don't think you will notice any difference between uh, episode eight and episode one or two in terms of, of the quality of the, uh, the sound or the visual effects. But it took longer. I think, to just get it right, because you had to discuss it via Zoom or whatever else you were using and trying to explain where exactly, what exactly you, you thought was wrong. And so I think we, we, we had to have additional loops in a way of, of conversation. And, and so 
in, in that respect, on the international front, we didn't have to shut anything down. We just had to finish things. Bavaria overall obviously stopped all production in, in March and you know, then took the time to work on guidelines of how we could uh, reopen those productions, start those productions again, uh, very closely with, with the medical team and with the government of Bavaria in order to then start. We, we actually started our daily telenovela Storm of Love in, uh, in April, I think the 20th of April or something like that. We, we were you know, amongst the first ones to to reopen and uh, touch wood. So far, so good. You know, we uh, we are testing our um, our cast uh, on a weekly basis, and um, though they obviously are acting without masks, uh, all the rehearsals are with masks, and and uh, you know, all the crew wears masks, and we have you know all the um, precautionary measurements in place. But so far, so good. No no infection. So um, y- you know, it was. Um, Either the measurements are, um, I mean, I think the measurements are helping. I think we are also lucky. There is a, a, um, uh, an amount of luck involved because even if you do everything right, you know, something can happen. That's just uh, the nature of the virus. So, so that started again. And then our second show, um, it's, a, it's a weekly Zoko Stuttgart, went on with shooting in May. And other productions are also starting. And, and Soko Stuttgart was, I think, the first one of our shows that doesn't just shoot on the backlot, but also shoots, you know, in, in the city of Stuttgart, which was a slightly bigger task to get that right. Because obviously on, 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 your, on your backlot, you have more control than you have when you, when you start shooting on location again. So, you know, a lot of work went in between March and uh, the end of April to, to build the guidelines. and get everyone up to speed. And we obviously have a medical advisor on set all the time to ensure that all the guidelines are adhered to. And we do, you know, temperature checks every day. And um, as said, we, we check our, our cast. But with that, um, we, we were able to start again in, in, in Germany on, on the local productions. That's, that's great news. And like you say, you're very early. I mean, end of April seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so it feels like you've been filming for quite a while. I mean, um, in terms of like the stories of those shows, are you are you kind of are they coronavirus stories coming into these shows or are you kind of trying to we we haven't we, we haven't done that yet coronavirus stories we've, we've so far we've we've kept away from them we obviously had to adjust the stories slightly i mean you know that uh, uh germans like to kiss and we obviously had to be uh, slightly more careful with that because obviously close contact scenes are still uh, an issue and uh, you know it, that is starting to relax uh, now uh, i i Heard, but it is obviously still something that that we are you know cautious about and we're trying not to do if possible so we we did adjust in that respect scripts were adjusted in that respect same goes for you know close combat fist fighting or stuff like that we you know where you get close and physical um the scripts were slightly adjusted but the two shows that i'm talking about didn't really have that too much so that was not not a bit big problem but no, we haven't done coronavirus shows. And it's also a question, I mean, I know that some have, some telenovelas have done that. The question is, is that something that the audience of telenovelas wants to see? Meaning, do you want to bring the thing that you actually are trying to get away from by watching television into your home in a way? Because a telenovela, as far as I'm concerned, is something that is supposed to make you feel good. And being reminded of the situation we are in doesn't necessarily 
transport the feel-good uh, theme of the telenovela. Definitely. Yeah. And, and in terms of, um, you know, just filming those shows, are you working with a reduced crew? Are people working at home where possible? Are the cast... Well, we are, yes, up? absolutely. I mean, we are, you know, like like with everything, everyone is working from home who can work from home. We are, we are using, uh, if possible, uh, two sets of crews, you know, one doing the interior shooting, one doing exterior shooting. Um, you, you know, in, I know there are different different um, methods of um, keeping departments separate, and and we are using some of those as well in order to ensure that if you do have a case in in one department, it doesn't mean that the whole production needs to shut down. So all those measurements are being taken in order to to ensure that that even if there is a case, it doesn't mean the whole production has to shut down. You know, for for us on on, on the international the international department, we have been developing quite a lot during this time. We uh, were supposed to have writers' rooms, or we actually had writers' rooms uh, scheduled, and we actually had people over here also in Munich in writers' rooms when the the lockdown started to happen, and we had to fly people out last minute to Spain, for instance, um, uh, which was one of the last flights he could have gotten. And then we continued to do the writer's rooms um, in, in, in the virtual writer's room via a conference system, um, a video conferencing system. It's interesting to do those, I have to say. And and my work life has changed quite drastically in that respect. I've, I have been in video conferences where I've got two screens uh, running simultaneously and you have one headphone in one ear and another headphone in the other ear and you constantly um, switch between which one you're talking to and following and that was quite stressful I, I have to say it was predominantly at the uh, in the early days of the lockdown because that was when everything suddenly you know came together and 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 additional work uh, happened you know um, there were a lot of conferences which were unscheduled in terms of you know I had I was supposed to be available for a writer's room, but because of the crisis, I had to be in conference calls due to the crisis, which then overlapped into the writer's room. And I couldn't just leave the writer's room just because of that. So I tried to follow both conversations, which works if they are in the same language, when they are in two different languages, which was often the case, your mind starts to really take a, take a, take a toll, I would say. You have to answer in German while you listen to English. It's weird so yeah. i mean so it sounds like then you're continuing to develop the shows that you were developing in any case so i mean just generally how are you feeling about the international you know production outlook are these shows you're hoping to kind of get into production soon or are you forecasting that it might be early next year or, or longer that you can actually start doing these shows? well we we are i mean you know we we are seeing that prague is reopening at the moment and a lot of our productions have um, have been shot in Prague. Um, you know, we, we did the majority of Freud in Prague, um, and and also the sport was was predominantly shot in Prague. And um, they are starting to shoot the big shows in Prague probably in July, August. So our aim would be that that we could maybe return in October, November. You know, if everything goes to plan with 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 some of the, the projects that we're developing at the moment. Obviously, the international shows are harder because you know we've got people from all over Europe and the world. And we've got, um, you know, people from, from South Africa and Canada and the UK joining us on, on a shoot. And we don't know yet what the regulations will be in terms of returning. And if we want to shoot in November, then we need to start prep in July. That's around the corner. So the questions of travel are obviously currently the, the most pressing. I was on the phone with a colleague of mine uh, 
know, earlier today. And he said, yeah, he's, he's just traveling. He's just arrived in the UK because obviously, because they are closing down, he's doing his trip before they close down. Like so many others, he said it was completely full coming into the UK because everyone is just now ensuring that they still get that one meeting that they have to in before the UK closes. It's an interesting um, idea to close when others open because that obviously makes a lot of sense. Um, but um, but that 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 for us obviously you know is is something that we have to discuss and it's something that we have to take into consideration when we when we look at the contracts that we are doing at the moment like when you do contracts with your with your cast or with your DOPs or, or whomever you know in the past we always had clauses that they could fly home if there were a certain amount of days off. Obviously now with coronavirus, we are considering not giving them any days off because we want them in kind of a well, lockdown or, or quarantine situation, right? We don't want them to travel back home, have a big party and then come back to set and we don't know who they met. But, you know, that's, I think, just like for the football players and, and, and the leagues that are reopening where they are doing a similar uh, regime. I think that's something that for now or for the foreseeable future, uh, that will be the case. You know, those that are uh, in front of the camera that will be acting without masks need to be super careful. And then you have a second tier, which still has to be careful. And then a third tier, which can work from home, which can do whatever they want in inverted commas, as long as it's legal. Um. <laughs> Something that comes up time and again is sort of the issue of insurance and whether you know there's going to be insurance available to cover these big projects. Is that something you're experiencing as well in in Germany? Well, it is. It is. It's one of the big discussions we are having. We're having the discussion with the networks. We're having the discussions with uh, the service providers. Uh, we have the discussions with the insurances themselves as well, uh, trying to find uh, insurance for it. You know, for now, uh, the 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 sense that we have is that you need to. You need to look at, at at your exposure, at your risk exposure. What happens if you have to shut down for two weeks? What's, what, you know, what happens if you have to shut down for a day, two weeks, three months? That's the rough options that you have, right? Someone, someone calls you in the morning and says, well, I don't feel well. It might be corona. What do you do? Well, you shut down for the one day, right? And then you get them tested. And uh, our understanding at the moment, in most of the countries that we are intending to shoot in, we can test within 24 hours. So the next morning, we would know whether that person actually had coronavirus or not. If not, then you can just continue uh, as planned. So that's a one-day shutdown. If he does have something, then you might have a two-week shutdown. And then if a second wave comes, you might have a two-month or three-month shutdown. So you basically have those different scenarios which you have to calculate and put a number to. And then you have to look at how many of those scenarios can we afford and how do we distribute that um, cost between the parties that are involved in the production. Because for now, that cost is not insurable. At least we haven't found anyone who's insuring that. And uh, some of the governments, governments in, in, in Germany and Austria are saying that they might take over that cost. But then again, the question is, do they insure every production or just the production that, you know, how many days of shooting do you need to do in the country that they insure and which companies need to be involved and so on and so forth. All of these things are still very, very much in the making at the moment. Uh, I feel that that probably come November, things will be slightly different. People will know what to insure and what not to insure. But in reality, I think real insurance will only happen if a coronavirus case doesn't mean a shutdown of production for two weeks, because that's just too high a risk for any insurer to take. If a coronavirus case means that patient needs to go 
and production can continue, then fine. But if coronavirus case means, and means by that, I mean, if the government says a coronavirus case on set between actors means all actors need to go in quarantine, then I don't think an insurer will insure it for the foreseeable future because that's too big a risk. So it's just a question of, you know, where do the guidelines go? And no one really is in a position, I think, at the moment to predict that. And, and do you think, um, you know, in the short term, at least, do you think international dramas will become more domestic, you know, in terms of maybe locations where you might, instead of going to Spain, you might find somewhere in Germany that can kind of double up maybe or have more studio sets? How, how will I, that work, do you think? I, I think that, I think that, um, I think that uh, there will be a lot more scrutiny on, on the question of travel. That's for sure. Productions will, will try and reduce the amount of shooting locations they go to. And I think that whether that means domestic or whether that just means, you know, uh, less locations than, than you had before uh, that were international. I think for, for the big productions, uh, big budget productions, it, it probably doesn't mean domestic. It just means less locations. I think for the American shows, it probably means America. I th- I'm, I'm, you know, what, what I'm hearing uh, is that they are, you know, strongly considering doing uh, their bigger shows in America at least for now, because they just don't know how the travel restrictions will be for them to go abroad and come back. And their big stars that they have don't want to be stuck in Europe indefinitely. And I mean, that's, I think that's, that is their, that's their thinking. And then it's also, you know, the, the, the cost situation obviously is something that they have to consider, but I think that they, they feel it's, you know, it's safer. It's more likely to be, they are more likely to continue and finish the shoot if they shoot in America, because they will have their resources at their fingertips. I think that's, that's for sure. I think for us, you can't do a show like this board on a back lot. It just doesn't, it doesn't work, you know? And I, I, I think that you will still want to do shows like that. But if you think of a show like um, Freud, for instance, we could have done in Germany or in Austria or in the Czech Republic. It doesn't really matter. Everything was shot in one location. So I think that's... And then Carnival Row, for instance, which is done in, in, in Prague, the, the few things that are not on set are in, in national parks. You could have found the national park in America just as as well as you can find that park in, in the Czech Republic. So I think that in the future, those kinds of shows might consider doing them at home because that means that they can have their cast at home and that's easier than doing it abroad. Morris Poulter from Bavaria Fiction. While Kesha International has had to press pause on some series, including Apple's recently announced adaptation of False Flag, production in Israel is starting to resume. Kelly Wright, Senior Vice President of Distribution and New Business, spoke with Karolina Kaminska about these developments and how post-coronavirus programming may look very different. We have had to put shows on hold just literally days before things started to get really bad with corona. A new show with Apple um, based on our false flag format starring Uma Thurman. It was announced literally like mid-March, you know, and we had plans to head into production. It was, it's a Keshet UK production. And obviously that's had to be put on the back burner for the moment. Uh, it's, it's a big production. It's an international production. These are obviously the, the most heavy hit in terms of having to comply with so many different governments and flight regulations and having so many different international actors. It's a complex production. So 
it's not one that, you know, you can just escape into a studio, do it real quick and dirty and, then, <laughs> you know, and then, get, you know, move on, move on to the next one. So it's something that we've had to put on, on hold, for example. And then not just in production, but it's also affected shows that we already produced, but had, had planned to launch during this period. So whether those, those are shows on Keshet's broadcast channel, channel 12 here in Israel, like Masterclass, the fourth season... Uh, of our kids singing show that was supposed to launch as well end of March. So that's been postponed and we're now putting it back into the schedule for later this summer. But big, big launches of big primetime tentpole formats, we were not able to launch because we would have lost money uh, due to the advertising market being so weak. So we've seen that with our own productions. We've seen that with our own international productions. And we've also seen that with tape. So selling finished programs, you would think, oh, Let's do it. You know, people have gaps in the schedule they need to fill because original productions can't move forward or local productions. But actually, I've encountered a lot of difficulty with shows that were supposed to launch during this period on channels that are supposed to dub those shows. They weren't able to dub because dubbing houses were closed. So those have also been postponed in terms of their launch dates. So it's been kind of across the board, everyone kind of having to make adjustments on the fly. And I think that's what's the most been the most amazing thing here is seeing people who are worried about their own personal health situation. People are worried for their countries, for their colleagues, for their kids, for their parents, for whatever, for their own jobs, but also behaving and acting so nimbly, even out of an office scenario, even working from home or working from wherever they are in order to make those accommodations and make those decisions that are for the best, you know, for the business basically in order so that the business will continue after this. And I think that's been, you know, we've, we've been very understanding with clients who have had to do that. And I, I, I think it's, you know, everyone's kind of pitching in. I feel like, you know, we, everybody, whether you're a distributor or a producer or a broadcaster, you're affected by this. And, and so in light of the current situation, have you been working on any of these so-called Corona-proof shows that can be filmed while adhering to social distancing rules? Yes. So one of them is called Can't Stop the Music. And it's a very simple studio show. It's a musical game show. And it was on the air for about four years in the early 2000s on Keshet. And it also had a version in Turkey, a version in Vietnam. And we decided to bring it back because it's like a party in the studio. It's a very feel-good, uplifting show, a lot of local music. But how do you produce a party in the studio when you're wearing masks, you know, when you can't have an audience? So we had to make a lot of adjustments and we're about to launch that one internationally, the Corona version. But it is Corona proof because you have celebrities, a team of celebrities playing against another team of celebrities, two hosts. The audience is virtual. So the audience is basically on individual screens that comprise a larger screen, which is the background of the set. So that you see the audience in the background of the set, but the audience is completely virtual. They're all logging in or participating in the show from the comfort of their homes, from the safety of their homes, and from their own webcams. But they're participating. They're singing along. They're dancing. Um, so we, we kept that party environment, but we had that party happening wherever you are. You can join the party kind of a message. And that was really fun to produce. And the ratings were incredible because people had been so heavily affected by the news and the news was so heavy and so intense and to have something come on at 9:30 or 9:45 p.m which is our prime time and just make you laugh make you giggle make you join in and feel like you're a part of a community and sing songs that you were raised on songs that everybody knows 
um, it was very democratic in that sense, was just a good way to acknowledge Corona, but also celebrate still the community that we have with our viewers on our channel. And now that restrictions in Israel are starting to lift, what mm -hmm. is the latest in terms of a resumption of production? Production is starting. Production is starting again here. We have Deal With It, which is one of our big international format uh, sellers. We're doing a fourth season here in Israel, and it was supposed to be filmed during Corona. We had to postpone it. But it's one of the first things that's gone back. And it's interesting because it's filmed in a rigged restaurant. So you do need to make those adjustments. And obviously, restaurants here are open now with, with certain you know, amendments to how you normally would, would dine in, you know, you have paper menus, you don't need to wear a mask when you're eating, obviously, but the waiters do need to wear masks, things like that. So it will look different. It will look like a post Corona production. It will be obvious that it is, but it's one of the first things that can return because it's a hidden camera show. All it requires is for the restaurant to be open. And as long as the restaurant is open and there are diners, we can film it. So we are getting, starting to get back on track. How, how do you think that that's going to go down with the audience? People are going to be very keen to kind of forget about it once it, yes. once it is all over. So how do you think that they're going to perceive that? I think, you know, it's an interesting question because you look at two sides of the coin. Yesterday I was watching a show and the entire episode took place on an airplane. And I was just thinking to myself, God, it looks so weird now to see people. I just, all I could think about were the germs, to be very honest, you know? I'm seeing them in their chairs, drinking their wine, whatever, and thinking about the germs. So I think it goes both ways. You know, looking at things that were filmed before Corona seem almost like, oh God, how could, how could we have done that? How could they be doing that on the show? And looking forward when you incorporate Corona-friendly, Corona safety regulations into your productions, obviously you don't want to see an entire studio filled with masked people who are clapping along to the beat in a talent show. That's not going to work because it's, it's too jarring, the difference. So I think to do it in a way where, at least in the sense, a studio, right? A studio is a vacuum. So it's weird to see it, to see people in a mask. But to see people wearing a mask in a restaurant, which is not a vacuum, and we're all returning to restaurants, waiters are going to be wearing masks for a long time. You know, we don't know if this can go on for months or years, right? So I think that's going to be the new reality. And it's going to look weird if people aren't wearing masks. So I think the production depends a lot on if it's a reality, if it's set in the real world, if it's set in a studio, which is more of a vacuum, if it's a scripted series, I think those adjustments are going to be, if it's a scripted series, it's supposed to be fantasy, right? No one should be wearing a mask unless it's incorporated into the storyline. But in terms of reality and deal with it, which is filmed in a restaurant and the audience knows that it takes place in a restaurant, I think that's going to be just fine. And you mentioned a bit earlier the distribution side of the business. What sort of demand are you seeing for the COVID-19 safe productions that, that you've worked on? Um, where have and, and are you selling them to? We're seeing the demand uh, right now in Europe. So I would say, uh, for example, in Benelux, for example, in Scandinavia and Central and Eastern Europe, where things are a little bit more open. Central and Eastern Europe is already getting back to normal, you know, in Hungary and things like that. So they're looking now at how, okay, it might be a little bit too late. Let's say, Filming something like The Voice might still be too difficult. That format would require a lot of adaptation to be filmed in Corona times, post-Corona times. But other formats um, could apply. So we are seeing a lot of interest in studio-based formats. And even in non-studio-based formats, you'd be surprised. 
informants that are reality that are filmed outside of the studio are being commissioned today uh, in certain territories and will be filmed this summer. So I think everyone's kind of looking at Europe at least as summer being a filming window. I'm talking about that in Spain as well. July, August, traditionally months that are taken completely off, you know, in terms of holidays are now the filming months. You can Basically, you can only film during those months because they anticipate the second wave coming end of September, October. So they need to be prepared for that. They need to have content prepared for that second wave. So the summer is becoming a really hot market to produce formats, actually. Okay. And then with regards to Keshet's library of finished tape, are you seeing increasing demand for that? And if so, is there anything specific that buyers are looking for? Yeah, we are seeing increasing demand for that. I think Corona coincided with the launch of a lot of uh, SVOD platforms, new platforms, whether it's Disney+, Plus, whether it's Peacock, whether it's HBO Max, and those platforms, whether it's Apple, by the way, as well, I think a lot of them don't have their originals in order at this point in time. And so tape, uh, good tape, interesting tape, tape that can work in an English speaking market is very much in demand. We're seeing in the North America really raise its head and raise its hand and say, I want this, which is exciting. And then we have also, you know, in territories where you need to dub some of the Western European territories or Latin America, for example, there has been delays uh, in TXing shows, which they can't simply can't get dubbed. So the demand there is a little bit different. I think there it's more of a reliance on reruns or relicensing library, uh, not library, but finished programs that already are on the platform, already are dubbed and can be extended. So it's two different demands, really. One is the demand for new content and one is the demand to relicense existing content that you've already sold in certain markets um, due to difficulties arising from Corona. And, and what's Keshet's stance on co-production at the moment, given the current situation? Are you still co-producing or are, you, are things kind of a little bit difficult and you're putting it on hold for the time being? We're still co-producing uh, in the sense that here in Israel, we're commissioning. We're still commissioning. We're still receiving pitches um, for new content as well as for further seasons of things. Co-producing as far as scripted content goes, our focus really is on False Flag, obviously, uh, which is our big show for Apple. And we have as well The Baker and the Beauty on ABC in the US. We have Lincoln Rhyme on NBC in the US that we're actively producing. And we actually managed to finish post-production during Corona in the US. And those are obviously co-productions. One's with UTV and one is with Sony. So we are still doing that. It remains to be seen what will happen for next season, obviously. But the intention and the plan is if we get commissioned for future seasons, obviously to, to continue to co-produce. Okay. And then what impact has the cancellation of industry events like MIP TV had for you? I think MIP TV was, was something people were talking about in terms of will you, won't you for a while now. So I think it was, obviously we had intended to be there, um, but not to take a stand in the Palais. So for us, you know, we wanted to welcome guests and, and clients in a different environment. And unfortunately, we weren't able to host them physically, but we did host people virtually. So all of our sales team ran their own mini MIP. And sometimes it was just about keeping the exact same date and time as the original physical meeting was supposed to be and just running it on Zoom. And also same thing with drinks. 
Same thing with lunches, running, literally running your coffees, your lunches, your drinks meetings, but on Zoom. So it's become a fun way almost to reconnect, to pass the time because people are at home. It's difficult working at home when you have kids, when you have who knows what your situation is. You can't always be on emails and screening content. Sometimes you need some kind of social interaction. So I think it's been a really fun and interesting way, in spite of all the worries, of course, to connect with people on on a more personal level, they're in their homes, you know, and you're seeing them in their homes, they're seeing you in your home. And you're talking about what's happening in the country, in the world. And it's, it's a conversation that's beyond TV content. So I think it was interesting in that in MIP, we're very, very focused on our slate. We're very focused on our deal making. And here it was nice to take kind of a breath and a step back and to be more human about our approach a little bit, even though, you know, relationships are the name of the business, obviously, and to just deepen those relationships and be empathetic, learn from one another, what each other's going through. Obviously we're a channel, we're a producer, we're a distributor. We can relate to our clients on many different levels and, and just to kind of commiserate a little bit and share stories and share insights. Um, and that's been really interesting is to share insights and gain more knowledge about your strategy, their strategy, and how we all move forward as broadcasters, as producers, and as distributors in this situation. And then finally, what long-term effects of the virus do you expect on the industry? I think that what we've seen in terms of predictions is that this advertising slump, it can't even call it a slump, it's an advertising crisis, you know, is not just going to apply to 2020, it's going to apply to 2021 as well, at least. I think that's one of the big changes that we're going to see free TV really struggle with this for a long time. Of course, it depends on the country, but overall, I'm talking about reports coming out of the US market mainly. Um, I think with pay TV and SVOD, the struggle that was, you know, the battle between David and Goliath that was in our minds is you know, even more pronounced. I think we've all heard stories about how pay TV has been severely affected with core cutting, with lack of sport, for example, with um, freezing budgets. And we're talking about problems that began before Corona. So I think Corona is just going to accelerate the changes that streaming initiated into our industry a few years ago. And it's survival of the fittest. You know, we all hope that the platforms that we love and our clients and the people that we love will continue to be part of this industry. Will it look the same? No, it won't look the same. How it will evolve, I think, really depends a lot on how people adapt during this time period, both the audience and the platforms. So hard to say. Kelly Wright from Kesha International. Fox-owned animation studio Bento Box Entertainment has been busy in lockdown as production continues apace with the help of digital pipelines that make animation possible from home. Co-founder and CEO Scott Greenberg told Nico Franks how the pandemic has sparked talks of the company animating previously live-action series that have had to shut down and whether the industry needs to rethink its approach in the wake of the pandemic. It's crazy times for the TV industry at the moment, but animation has been one of the areas of the industry that has been relatively unaffected by the pandemic. So could you tell me a bit about Bento Box, how things have changed and what stayed the same? Yeah, listen, uh, the global pandemic has affected everybody. Um, and you know, We're all looking forward to getting back to normal and people being healthy. But as you said, I think it has, it has affected the animation business least and partially because of the nature of the work we do. 
uh, at least the work, you know, historically a lot of animation was drawn in hand on paper, but um, Bentovox were a full digital pipeline. And we, we built the company with a digital pipeline and backbone with a lot of cloud-based tools. So when the pandemic hit, we quickly transferred a lot of our, most of our employees to work from home and had sent them home with their, their work computer unit, trying to ensure security for our clients and um, having people work remotely. So um, the good news of that is um, none of our shows had to go dark and we, you know, we kept as close as possible to delivery schedules and everybody kept employed. So that was positive. So, you know, unlike some of our live action friends, we didn't pause. So we were able to keep going and promoting and actually we've been busy and we have a lot of shows that we have about two or three shows that started during the pandemic. So over the course of uh, this, um, frankly, these past few months, we actually onboarded over a hundred people between our Atlanta and LA studio, which is, um, it's an impressive number that we don't like to gloat because it's such an awful time. We're all looking forward to be back in the office together. But, um, you know, look, we're able to promote, produce and promote and I think edu- and entertain. And that's been the great thing here. So we're able to keep moving and make content during this time. And you've actually had a show launch during the pandemic. So. Um, well, we, we've, um, we, you know, we, look, we have a, a show with Apple kids that we've been gearing up, um, staffing. We, you know, we're working on the show Mulligan with Universal Studio and Netflix, which has been staffing up with Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. You know, which that writer's team in the production team is staffing up. Um, we have a new season of Duncanville for Fox with 20th and Universal Studios, which is staffing up. And then obviously also Central Park, you know, launched on Apple Plus last week. And so that show, you know, we delivered that and that aired to great reviews last week as well. And, um, you know, we have, we're in production on season two for that too. So, we, you know, we we're lucky we have shows, um, you know, for Fox, for Netflix, for Apple. And we have some other stuff in development that hasn't been announced yet with other platforms. But um, we're working. We're, we're lucky to be working with with Hulu, with HBO Max. We have an HBO Max show, The Prince, that we're working with the twentieth, which is is screwing up too. So we've been working with everybody. And look, the animation business is busy. The market's very tight. You know, here and you know, we're kind of working with partners around the world. And we're also seeing live action shows engaging with animation to complete episodes or do whole new episodes. Have you? been in talks with any live action shows about potentially doing new episodes uh, for them? There is one, but I can't say what it is yet. Um, <laughs> so the answer is yes, we're talking to people and, um, you know, how do we use our tools to help them? You know, um, so yes, the answer is there's a couple, there's one really cool one we're talking to and we've offered our services for others, you know, just for pra- you know, practical things. And then we're also looking at genres. I mean, I think there's, you know, while it's hard to go shoot live action dramas right now, um, we, you know, we're actually an animation. We have, we've been developing an animated drama serendipitously. So I think with great writers. So I think there's a world where hopefully animation is not seen as a genre in its own right. I mean, historically, people are like, oh, animation, that's just that, right? But versus, you know, you have a genre of comedy, drama, you know, reality, you have uh, horror. Animation is another way of telling a story. And I think due to the world, I think people are seeing that now. So I think there may be, we see opportunities for really great storytellers to be told animated. The truth is, it's just another form of telling a story. So um, we're excited, you know, frankly, just to keep you know, entertaining and producing in that way. And yeah, you, you have made your name with lots of sitcoms, shows like Bob's Burgers, and then upcoming shows like Duncanville and Central Park, like you mentioned. Do you see demand for sitcoms increasing? Because we're seeing 
streamers like Netflix really engage with the animation industry. Do you see one potential consequence of this pandemic being that more, you know, maybe even broadcast channels might start doing the same? It's a, it's a, it's a really, really interesting question. I would say even prior to pandemic, the desire domestically, US and globally for um, animated sitcoms was growing. Fox Network has been a leader in that space for 30 plus years, you know, starting with The Simpsons and Family Guy and King of the Hill and really been, you know, you know the, the you know, prime, prime place for that to be and really has been the leader and still is. And that's why we love partnering with them, you know, but we still sell other places as a studio. But clearly you've seen over the past two years, Netflix gearing up in that space, HBO Max, Hulu, Apple. So I think everybody sees the value of what those shows do. I mean, you look at the success of the franchises launched on Fox as a launching place, the second windows on Hulu and streaming have done so well. I think everybody, you know, all these new platforms launching, people understand the value of animated sitcoms. And also our shows travel globally. You know, I know our shows do very well in the UK, you know, on Channel 4 and on Sky and Beebs, EBC. Um, I know we do great in, in Australia. You know, our shows, um, some of our Netflix comedy shows even do well in France and in Europe. So I, I, I know globally our shows have traveled. And, you know, we've been lucky to produce a lot of these shows that have proven an in international market. So I think before the pandemic, everybody knew the value of these and there was really a new renaissance of that. I, but I agree because of the pandemic, I think it will accelerate because a lot of our creative partners and friends who shoot live action shows are on the sidelines waiting. So I think to fill the gap in programming, I think there's a huge opportunity to fast track more animated sitcoms. And with comedy, we're seeing it become a lot more international with shows traveling a lot more now because it, or the, the cliche used to be that comedy was local. Whereas now with streaming services, we're seeing them be a lot more open to picking up comedy and you know sometimes even subtitled comedies doing quite well on different platforms. I'm interested in animated sitcoms that are non-US because there really seems to be a dearth of those. Whereas in the US, there's just so many. Why is it that the US is so good at animated sitcoms and the rest of the world doesn't seem to be able to uh, to produce them as well? I don't agree with that. I, I, I actually believe outside the US can produce them all. You know, we're, we're looking outside for great creators outside um, outside the US. You know, we have a, we just did a development deal with Princess Pictures in Australia um, because we believe, um, we have a, you know, we have a project uh, called Koala Man, the young creator named Michael Cusack, which were developed. And um, we believe there's a huge amount of animators and creators in Australia. So we did a, a development deal with them because we want to produce and with you know, Australian creators and also, you know, possibly with Australian partners there. I also believe that there's great comedy voices in the UK, some of my favorite uh, in Europe. So I believe we're looking globally for comedy partners globally who, to, as a source for, for um, content. So I actually believe it can. I think to your, your question though, I think, look, the genre was created by Fox 30 years ago. So you remember like animation is really a kid's business and still really a strong kids, but Europe really leads in the great you know, kids business. You know, after the Flintstones, in the 60s, there was not a, a, a sitcom animated business in the U.S. until Fox launched The Simpsons, right? And then really built that block. And the truth is, nobody in the U.S. really even picked up on that until Adult Swim started rerunning those. And then, you know, now the other syndicated guys are, are running that. You know, some other people tried. So I think, you know, you really had one leader in that space. Um, 
Um, and then I think a lot of the European partners were, were, were just licensing the show. I do think historically it's been hard for, you know, some of the best U.S. shows like The Office where formats in the Europe, I mean, animated formats is an interesting model. I'm not sure it works. You want the creator. But I think it's going to change now. I mean, I can tell you from our point of view, we are actively talking to creators and writers and comedians in the U.K. and in Europe and in Australia. We intend and seek to find great voices globally because that also that that travel both ways so i think i think you might look in the next couple of years you know it's going to change right and um and, you know and have blended teams and no longer you know that the show has to be organically american i think if you have the right thing that works globally it makes sense and, you know we're looking at global partners again co-productions with australia we'd love you know, looking at, you know, partners in, in the UK as well as some great production partners and animation companies. And look, I, you know, broadcasters are currently air shows we make are there we love to work with as well. So I, I think that is changing. And that's something that we want, you know, we're actively seeking to do. There's obviously usually animation events happening all through the calendar. And uh, we're in June now. So the international animation industry normally would have been gearing up to, to go to Annecy. How big a hit do you think the lack of those events is going to take on the industry? Or is it actually maybe a bit of a welcome pause because there are so many events? I really, I really don't have a good answer for that question. Um, I, I, look, I think selfishly, look, I, I think while we all can't wait to get back and be together with people socially, was, there's nothing like face-to-face and getting to know people. Uh, I think we've creatively gotten a little stronger because people are forced to look at each other and talk a little bit more um so I, I think there's a little bit i think i think a little bit from every bucket you mentioned right you know i think it's forcing us to talk differently and look at things differently and slow down i know we're all reading more we're all watching more stuff i think we're all understanding how people engage content more so i think that's exciting a lot of creative people we know are being more creative now so look i, I i'm very excited for the time where i get on a plane and go meet my counterparts globally in Annecy and have a, a drink with them and a meal and learn. I, you know, like, I, I, I'm very excited for that time to get back. However, the world is shifting how we view stuff. Um, I just love the world of not, I, our decisions aren't driven by health risks or you know, governmental border issues versus what is best for the business. And I suppose the rise in doing so much online, like we're speaking now over Zoom, it does potentially open the industry up to a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily be able to go to certain events physically. A hundred percent. I mean, I imagine if we did this six months ago, this would have been a phone call, I imagine, not a Zoom. So I think just getting to see your face is definitely more engaging. You know, I think we've all accepted video conferencing. But buyers, you know, we're not selling less. If anything, we're just as busy. So, you know, now you're doing pitches this way and you're having your creative meetings this way so <clears throat> on some levels it works very well on some levels i think it's also overused you know you know um, we you know sometimes i wish we'd go back to a phone call for certain meetings um but yeah i also agree it does democratize it somewhat you know no longer matters if you're based in los angeles or you're based in london to go take a meeting with a broadcaster or you're not offending somebody by not flying to their city we can now hop on this and it's really it's democratized the process I no longer have to go drive, plan my day in Los Angeles to avoid traffic to go to Netflix or to Fox or to Apple. You know, I just press a button, so my day is more packed. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely helped it for some. For I think, um, you know, what, what's really nice is you can truly live and be anywhere. You know, which is really great and hopefully you know, accelerates creativity. Definitely for production too. I mean, look, we've you know, we're not the only ones that people use freelancers and people working remotely, but just now being more accepted. You know, and I think. 
you know, there was always fear if you're not here. And I think creatively that's really worked. Um, you know, I think we're doing a project with Jeff Davis for the network, you know, and Jeff's LA based a phenomenal creator who the network did overall. And he's an animated drama working on. But we're now able to look at great artists and creators globally to help collaborate, which, you know, we always wanted to, but made it more complicated. So it's a great opportunity for us to really, even on a development level, and by even just have access to certain people who would just be busy right now. You know, so people are taking a look at projects, which is really exciting too. Scott Greenberg from Bento Box Entertainment. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>